everybody. This is Kim C, and you're listening to The Year of Underrated Stephen King. This is a one-woman book podcast that began one ordinary, unspecial day in the midst of COVID lockdown when a university fiction teacher wanted a little bit more out of her Stephen King reading experience. She wanted to go a bit deeper and explore some topics and titles in the shadows, and so she started a podcast uncertain where it would go, who would be interested, and despite many trials, tribulations, general existential dread, and wanting to quit, quit, quit so many times over, she persisted, and today marks the release of her 100th episode. You guys, we did it! Wow, this feels amazing. And who better to celebrate this milestone with none other than filmmaker, podcaster, writer, actress, singer, and all-around Stephen King queen, Julia Marchesi. Dearest friends, the only words that come to mind when I think of the vivacious and brilliant stunner that is Julia Marchesi are the following. Her hair is winter fire, January embers. My heart burns there too. Now, I know I'm plagiarizing a bit from our precious Ben Hanscom, more like Ben Handsome, because let's be honest, Ben's the best. He wrote that for a different gal, of course, the lovely and consistently top-rated female Stephen King character Beverly Marsh from It, but truly, I think if Ben and the entire Losers Club would have met Julia, they would have had quite the muse. For those of you who aren't privy to the royal majesty of Queen Julia, she is the co-host of the Horror Movie Survival Guide podcast, helping all of us be the final girl when the monster strikes. And most recently, Julia is in post-production with the short film she wrote, directed, and filmed at the University of Maine based on her favorite Stephen King short story, 1976's I Know What You Need from Night Shift. She's a bona fide, straight-up Stephen King movie-making star, everybody. This lady is a firecracker, bursting with talent and style, and I'm so thrilled to have her as my constant reader interview for our 100th episode. We get to chatting about our mutual love of Firestarter, the brilliance of The Long Walk, keeping those last 150 pages of The Dark Tower unread because she's got to hold on to the magic a little longer, as well as what it is to be part of a Stephen King community. We even get to clucking about a mutual crush on a certain 90s celebrity who melts my butter and has ever since I was a wee cherub. Let's get into it, everybody. No more delays. Without further ado, please join me in celebrating the 100th episode of this little Stephen King podcast that could with the lovely and amazing Julia Marchesi. Okay, everybody, welcome my guest of honor, this Stephen King queen, who I'm so thrilled to be talking to. You have no idea. She is helping me usher in my hundredth episode because I needed a queen. I needed an empress. I needed some estrogen. And what better way than consulting the goddess of them all? And that's Julia Marchesi. Welcome, Julia. Well, hello, and congratulations on 100 episodes. That's huge. Have you taken the moment to let that sink in? 
oh, not yet. <laughs> It'll happen. Yeah, that's a big milestone. It feels great. It feels I feel a lot of things, but I I can't I can't believe we made it. Like I just yeah, it, it hasn't processed yet. But uh. <laughs> well, I I am very flattered you'll have me uh, for for this big momentous occasion. So thank you, I appreciate it. I I am I mean I will talk to anybody about Stephen King anytime. So always a pleasure. I was so grateful to you way back when I got started because you were kind of just mama eagle and you scooped me up and I started getting these beautiful Stephen King Sunday tweets and I was like I'm in a community oh my gosh (laughs) who is this lovely person who's so kind that's so funny because I feel the same way about a lot of other pot like I feel the same way about like the losers club right because like the losers club has got a whole thing on going on and you know the king cast is always nice to uh, retweet and stuff and it's just something that I just kind of randomly started doing that's grown into this bigger thing and the thing about um you know we I have a dollar baby film that we'll talk about um that was really my intro to the Stephen King constant reader community that's on Twitter and online and they're delightful so supportive and so kind and everybody really wants to help each other and it, it really is this like microcosm thing is like once you're past the kind of like gate test of like are you real do you really love them and then like once you're in you're like yeah yeah come on in like here we are we're friends now I agree I love it too I was expecting for there to be a little bit of you know the huge like what are you doing here riffraff and it's like I'm aware I'm a little minnow in the great ocean but I feel the same way so here we are I mean wait who 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 are the sharks this is what I want to know I mean <laughs> Stephen King the shark I don't I'm not sure exactly who it is right but I really feel everyone is very kind because I think there's a great love of this guy's writing and we understand that's at the forefront. So it's like, don't be a jerk. <laughs> Just be rad. Well, it's, I think it's the same thing as like, if you meet people who love movies you like, because, you know, you've all gone on that same emotional roller coaster together and you know what it's like to go through it. And so then I feel like in turn, you can look to be like, oh, okay, you like these feelings. I like these feelings. Let's get together and like them together. Speaking of, we're going to talk a little bit about movies toward the end. We're going to talk about your dollar baby sooner than that. But I want to get us started right away with digging in to where your Stephen King journey all began. So if you can tell me your very first title and what age and all that good stuff. So my first was at 11. I... uh was the girl on the back of the bus reading Stephen King. Uh, And there were three that I read all back to back that I can't quite sort out which one was first. Uh, I think it was Pet Cemetery, and then it right after that and then Carrie right after that. But Pet Cemetery was the book that got me into Stephen King as well as getting into me into horror period. Because before that I was quite a scaredy cat and then I made this giant Stephen King jump. And I can't, I was thinking about it and I can't really think back of what why I did that. Why? Because I was reading like Judy Bloom and Laura Ingalls Wilder and stuff. And then one day and like the next day I was reading Stephen King. And I'm like, I don't even remember how I did that. Why I just was like, yes, this. And I didn't ever take any sort of like because like people are who are like goosebumps and like RL Stein kind of stuff. Like I never did that. I don't understand that like weird tween bridge between you know Judy Bloom and Stephen King. I'm just like from one to the other just hardcore just slamming around like a mosh pit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. That is incredible. I don't know, though. I mean, like, this is the thing, though. Like, it sounds incredible now, but you have to remember when I was 12 and I was obsessed with the Pet Cemetery. Obsessed. I had it on VHS. I watched it over and over and over and over. Um, and I went to a birthday party when I was 12, dressed as Gage, post Mac <laughs> burial ground, like dead Gage. And my friends were like cheerleaders and princesses and stuff. And they thought I was real fucking weird. So it's like, <laughs> you know, at, at 12, you were the ost- like ostracized. But now we're like, oh, wow, you're really cool. I'm like, see, it just depends on where you're looking. Wow. That is something to think about. Like, what, how did we, what was that jump, that wild jump? And Pet Cemetery is one of the gut punchiest ones. Sure. And it as well, right? I mean, it's like throwing you in the deep end and I was all about it and I was obsessed with it. And, you know, I had friends that we called each other by it nicknames and I just, I've read that one. I I still have my tattered paperback, my beloved tattered paperback I've had since I was 11, still reading that one. Like that's never going anywhere. Amazing. So looking at your readership throughout the years with King, are you someone who's got their hands on everything or approximately how many titles have you got through? 
Okay, here's, here's, this is where I, this is why I live to, to, because you, I will answer this question and you will be excited for me and I'm glad for this. Um, so I'd been a fan since I was a kid and that I realized it's been like four and a half years ago now, I realized that I had never read the Dark Tower series and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? It's his masterwork. Like, I'm, <laughs> why am I not reading this? But then I realized that a lot of his books tie in and I didn't want to miss anything. So I decided to read everything connected, but everything's kind of connected. So I ended up reading everything. So in the last four <laughs> and a half years, I've read everything. I still have 150 pages of The Dark Tower, the final book left, and then I'm done. But even that, I, I, the reason I did it was like to delay it, right? Like I didn't want The Dark Tower so fantastic, I didn't want it to end. And so I've delayed it for four and a half years. And even now, the book's sitting right in front of me. Like it's 150 pages. I could finish it today, no problem. And like, I can't do it, man. I don't want it to be over. Because not only is that series over, but like it's all over. I've, I'll, I will be finished. I mean, and then there's like the compendiums afterwards and there's the there's the comics and there's like, you know, there's stuff after, but not real Stephen King stuff. And I know he has more books coming out later this year. So it's like, it's not done, done, but you know what I mean? So it's a big, it's a big deal. So yes, I am, I am one of the, the Stephen King content readers who can say, once I finish Dark Tower, I will have read everything. Oh, that's amazing. It's been quite a journey and it's great because I'm so, you know, the, the, I delight in finding the connections and, and I all of my books are highlighted and, and got little sticky notes and like, like I'm going to do some sort of academic paper on it or something, but I'm not. I'm just doing it because I enjoy it. That's awesome. Oh my God. I'm always in awe of the folks who have just, they've read it all. It's incredible. I, this, I've never done this. But, I mean, that's not true. I, I would say there's, there, there are authors that I've definitely read their entire work, but they're, you know, someone like Jack and Lou Suzanne, who's got, you know, six books or something, right? Like not a big, huge, like he's got a ton, you know, right? We're talking every short story, every novel, like that's a ton. And so, yeah, four and a half years takes, takes a while, but it wasn't like it was ever, well, there were certain books that were kind of sloggy, but most of it was, was joy. There were certain books I was like, uh, okay, let's, let's wrap it up, wrap it up, you know? <laughs> I do know a lot about that for sure. Before we sort of get into your favorites and the ones that you're just not a huge fan of, I did want to ask about your dollar baby because for those, the many of us listening out there are huge fans of your work and we're chomping at the bit and very excited. So can you tell the listeners sort of how the dollar baby all came your way? Yeah, so let's start at the beginning. So if there's any constant readers listening that might want to do one in the future, this is how it works. Yes. Uh, Stephen King has a program called Dollar Baby where you can buy the rights to certain short stories for a dollar for a year. That's the contract. Uh, there's a list on his website. I think there's about 15 stories. Uh, you just send an email with an inquiry and they either say yes or no. And that's really as easy as pie. That's all there is. Um, so the contract says it has to be 45 minutes or under, and it has to be nonprofit, non-broadcast. So you can't sell it or distribute it, but you can show it at film festivals and private screenings and stuff like that. And then the killer part of the contract is that you have to send a, a copy of the film to Stephen King to watch because he wants to see what people, what people do with his work, which is like, you know, he doesn't need to do that. But I think the fact that he wants to do that is so incredibly kind. And of course, the big dollar baby success story is Frank Darabont, who did one. And Stephen King was like, hey, kid, come on over. You're great. And, you know, did Shawshank and Green Mile and The Mist. So I asked for the rights to my favorite Stephen King short story, I Know What You Need, uh, which was published in Cosmopolitan magazine in 1976. And then it was added to Night Shift. And short story, I, I much prefer novels to short stories, but this short story for some reason just was like, bing, like, yeah, this one. Um, and so I, this, so the short story takes place at the University of Maine. So I emailed the University of Maine and asked if we could shoot on campus and they said, come on down. So we shot on the University of Maine campus in the exact locations from the story. So the library is the library and the dorms are the dorms. And uh, we got to shoot in the dorms that Stephen King lived in and I got to sleep in his room, which was great because people have, the room hasn't changed since he's been there. Like it looks the same. It's just like oh wooden cabinetry. It's amazing. People have written in the drawers, little like graffiti. And a lot of it's about him and in that room, it's very cute. Um, so, the, so we filmed uh, summer of 2021 and it went fantastically. So it's set 1976, partially for my own personal aesthetics because groovy yes. is my is my life. But also <laughs> because, because uh, if the internet existed, this story wouldn't work. So I wanted to be sure to, you know, make it the best it could be. So the, uh, the vibe is after school special meets Brian De Palma. It's a little 
different, I think. And I think that the thing about these other babies, like, you know, they have no rules on adaptation. So you can really do whatever you want with it. You can take one bit of the story and then spin into something else if you want to, like, it's all up to you. Um, but I tried to stay as close to the story as I possibly could. And a lot of the dialogues work forward, but then there's also like, there has to be scenes that I have to fill in gaps and write stuff. And so I'm like, I, is my dialogue glaringly different than his? Like to me it is, but if to other people, do they notice? And just trying to make it seem like a Stephen King project, but also you, right? Because like that's, so it's this kind of mashup of can you do that? And so how I see this story and how everybody else sees the story, I think is very different. So I think it's going to be a very unique take on I Know What You Need. What do you think of the story? Oh my gosh. So right when I heard you were making the film, I was like, oh my God, I got to read that. So I did, but you'll have to refresh me on the ending because I just remember loving how understated and sexy the first mm. half is like, mm -hmm. and I don't know if I'm supposed to feel that, but I did. Okay. I was like, okay, Ed Hammer, it, it's creepy. It, it is a little creepy because right. you're like, clearly he has some sort of psychic power. All right. He just knows what right. she's thinking, obviously. And then, but I, I love the way Liz is depicted and it just sort of the progression of mm -hmm. the weirdness to falling in love because how could you not fall in love with somebody who just knows your every desire? Sure. And then I don't remember the ending, so you'll have to refresh me, but sure. I remember loving it. Well, I think, you know, part of the reason I'm so into it and, and you were saying like, it's kind of sexy and like, I, I'm known for, so I have my, my podcast horror movie survival guide, right? We talk about how you survive horror movies and my downfall, I'm quite aware is the cute <laughs> boy killer. That's what's <laughs> going to get me every time. So you're talking about a Norman Bates, right? This kind of like, he's super adorable. There's something kind of wrong with him, but you're like, oh, he's fine. And then you're like, he's a fucking psycho. This is how I die. Um, so when he described Anne Hamner, I was like, oh my goodness. Oh, hello. So I was really falling in love with him like Liz was. And I was like, okay, there's something wrong with him. It's a Stephen King story. I get it. But like, how bad could it be? Um, so it's a very interesting story because, and I, it was hard to find the right actor and the, and the actor that I got to play, Edward, William Champion, he's fantastic. Because you have to go from, geeky weirdo to uh, romantic lead to monster right like this whole big arc thing that he was able to do so well so um the ending and and as we know endings are altered in stephen king uh movies slightly so minus i don't want to say change i want to say altered because i don't want to so we she finds his uh his his stash and here we are spoilers uh if you haven't read the story stop now let's right. read it and Pause come now. back Yep. come back so it's altered in that in the story she finds the necronomicon in his closet and in 1976 that would have been a very obscure hp lovecraft reference but in now it's an evil dev reference and so if they found a necronomicon they'd be like what the fuck is this it would be very weird um so i decided to slightly alter it so he has the push power from firestarter instead so he's just <gasps> mentally pushing her so we have the nosebleeds like we do in firestarter as well so i just kind of shifted it a bit to be that and it's still the same the outcome's the same, right? It's just the powers are slightly different. And, and the one thing that bothered me about the story and the ending is that Edward has this big speech when he's found out about, you know, he's the best she'll ever have and he gave her everything she wanted and she leaves and she doesn't say anything. And I was like, uh, I'm not okay with that. So I had her say, you know, say something back because I feel like her just turning and walking away, A, is anticlimactic and B, I don't want her to not say something back, you know, like just say how much he fucked it up, like say something, you know, what would I say to him, this kind of idea. And so to get to see some of my favorite King characters brought to life in the way I see them in my head, real trippy, real crazy, like, because, you know, because it's, I was very involved with everything because it's obviously my vision and so it's 1976. So I wanted to look very specifically like I want. So picking out every costume and every set piece and the whole, you know, looking at, looking at the, now we're in post-production now. So looking at the color correction and making sure it looks, you know, warm and bright and colorful in seventies and like all of it trying to, you know, films take a long time. <laughs> like it's, months and months of pre-production and then you like the production itself is a week but then you have so many months of post-production and then once that's done then you do the film festival circuit and it's this like never ending thing but I got to make my version of my favorite story by my favorite author so I feel like the luckiest girl in the world and he gets to see it so oh my god like, you know and I feel like <laughs> if nothing this is my goal if nothing else if nothing else all I want is to him for the University of Maine to come on screen and him to go hey like that's all i need if i get a hey <laughs> i'll be totally fine other like other than that i don't need anything
Oh my gosh. I am speechless because I've just, all of those words, just, yeah, I'm short circuiting. <laughs> well, you can make a dollar baby too. This is the <sighs> thing. This is equal opportunity. This is not just something that I finagled for myself. Like it's available to anybody who wants it. You just have to ask. I am totally thinking about it because there is one. There is one that I'm super passionate about that. Yeah. You're going to tell me which, which that is? Yes. So if you have the paperback copy of The Bazaar of Bad Dreams, it's called yeah. Cookie Jar. Mm, I don't remember that one. Which one is that one? So that one is about a old, it's sort of when King does the really old guy, the young man, and there's like a beautiful friendship. I think it's his grandson. He's in the old folks home. And he tells the story of how he and his three brothers, when they were children, lost their mom to mental illness, but she had a magic, a literal magic cookie jar. It was a giant blue ceramic cookie jar mm -hmm. and she, they had nothing. It's the great depression. There's no money. There's nothing. And there was an overflowing abundance of fresh baked cookies. Every oh variety that sounds like my dream uh, right every variety you could ever think of and he's super descriptive with the flavors and like the textures and it's just beautiful and so everyone thought as children they were just making it up and so when they actually lose their mother to suicide which is terrible they all kind of go their separate ways one enlists in the war and so there was a lot of madness from their mother she had these wild imaginations she would draw and then what they realized is all of her drawings and the sort of ranting madness in quotes was actually true in a way and that the cookie jar kind of was like a mini portal to another world so it's mm. little morsels of this very cool sci-fi fantastical idea yeah but it's just about like a cookie jar that fills itself and it's fresh and it, it like it blew my mind man that really does sound like if you were like if you could have a superpower i'm like hmm never running fresh cookies not a bad one right you could make so many friends if you never <laughs> like if i never i never run out i could reach in my purse there they are right and it's cutesy right like it's cutesy like the cookie jar thing i was like that's kind of precious i love that but then there's like this darkness and this sadness to it yeah you know has there ever been a story that he's written that's just 100 percent across the board sweet correct Correct. Right. I think that's why we love him. Right. Even with the sweetness, there's always a bit of like, but that's really wrong with it underneath. Right. hundred percent. And I was actually, I was actually nervous going to Maine because I had read all my life about how people were uh, very nervous about outsiders. Right. Uh, they have this small town mentality and you can tell when an outsider comes in and they're very cold. Like this is, so, I've been set up my whole life reading Stephen King for this. Right. Not to mention Maine seems magical to me because I've read it. Like it's, you know, this fairy land, but Everybody was so incredibly nice, so nice, like blown away nice. And they all knew uh, when I walked into any store, before I opened my mouth, they would ask where I was from. So they clearly knew I was not from there, but they were very nice. Uh, and they say that you're from away. Wow. Oh, she's, she's from away. And you're like, oh, that's all you need to say. One word, that's all you need to say. And you're like, oh, got it. She's from away. That is wild. I love that. <laughs> I think you shared a movie still not too long ago, and I absolutely bugged out because I'm a huge Hearts in Atlantis fan. <laughs> and the jacket. And yes. That's a huge thing. You yeah. got it. You got it. Yes, the jacket. So in, in I Know What You Need, Ed Hamner does wear um, an army jacket, but I was like, eh, what if we just did a little crossy crossy and had him uh, have the peace sign on the back of his jacket? So yes, there's tons of Easter eggs like that. I'm so glad you picked up on it. It's the constant readers I made the movie for who go, hey, hey, hey. Oh my it's gosh. There. I am salivating to see it. <laughs> I'm salivating because we're such kindred spirits because I'm obsessed with vintage. I have like 80 50s gowns in my closet Ooh. because I'm obsessed so I I feel you I'm just right there with you and just the colors and all the style choices I mean a film can be garbage but if costumes are on point I'm in sure you're just like I'll just watch it for it just looks pretty right? it looks pretty and it doesn't Correct. have to you know I will watch it on mute don't care I'm just gonna <laughs> just gonna marvel I'm salivating for your film oh my gosh thank you Thank you for making it and going through all the hard stuff. It was a delight, honestly. Really, from beginning to end, I've been enjoying it so much. And I'm so happy for that. People are excited to see it. Um, there will be a trailer that will be coming out. There's a teaser trailer and then a regular trailer. Um, so you'll be seeing a taste of it soon. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Thrilled. So thrilled. <laughs> I can't wait to hear your thoughts when you see the trailer. Yes, it will be in all caps. It'll just, whatever it is, it's just all caps, brain exploding. <laughs> all right, Miss Julia, I did want to ask, kind of going back to the books. 
Yes. If you can let me know, what are some of the titles or title that you just love, but you notice not a lot of people love it and vice versa? You kind of hate it, but others love it, love it, love it. Okay. Uh, the thing I find interesting about his books is that the ones that I dislike, as I said, there are people who really like them. Like, it's, it's, it's the same with the film, right? Two people watch the same film and they get a whole different experience. The same with the book. So uh, the ones that would be on the bottom of my list that I did not enjoy, uh, Regulators, was Madness. <laughs> uh, and, and Desperation, you know, the mirror novel is slightly better, but not still not. Nah. Dreamcatcher, of course, known mess. And I love it for getting him back on his feet after the accident, but it's just not, not good. But it, but it's interesting because on the bottom of my list, and I should, I should read it again now that I've gone through the Dark Tower, but I mean the whole, all of his books, but from a Buick 8, I really didn't like because uh, similar to what you're saying about the cookie jars, there's a peek into another world that you never get into. And they just skirt around it for the whole book. And it drove me bananas because I was like, you have this kind of mundane story, but we could be shift over two feet. And there's like this <laughs> crazy thing going on. And so I felt a little disappointed. I was like, hey, get over to the, but you know, when I've talked about it afterwards, she was like, you know, it's about storytelling and the power of storytelling. I'm like, I get it. I understand. It's fine. So I should read it again. I feel like all the ones I like are quite well-regarded. I mean, I hesitate to say it because people will say what they'll say. I think Rage is a good book. I think that Rage is very problematic. I understand why Rage has been pulled. I think it's a good idea. It's not in print anymore, but I don't think it's bad. And I think people kind of shove it aside as if it's a bad novel and it's not. It just makes people very, very uncomfortable now. And that's totally understandable, you know, but his books always make you uncomfortable. So I don't, I feel like it's just because it's, he wrote it in a time where that was ludicrous. Now it's reality. And so it's just too close for comfort. And I totally understand. I will keep that in the file cabinet because I, I like that. I like I like that balance. And I've, I've heard one other person say, like, I wouldn't discount it. No, and I, I like his early Bachman stuff because it's really, it's a lot of, you know, most of them are about one character going through the book just like you're just through one character's point of view and it's just very simple and stripped back and it's just about the kind of mental deterioration of somebody and that's what this book is so it fits into that kind of running man road work long walk kind of mold and i really like all of those of this you know i like smaller stories so i think that's why i like i know what you need is there's only four characters and it's quite small and the long walk is one of my very very favorites and because there's it's so small, you know, it's just this, this one character going through this thing. And so I think, you know, rage is very similar. So that's how I feel. I love it. When I think about the long walk, I cannot believe how young he was when he wrote that. Dude, <sighs> craziest thing. Okay. This is, this is my, this is my fantasy in my head. So he wrote that in college, right? And I stayed in his dorm room <gasps> in college. So it's possible that that could have been written in that room. A hundred percent. One degree. You were there. I, I like to think so. That will be in my heart till I die. <laughs> the, but the long, I mean, the long walk again, like it's, you know, his first novel you ever wrote. And I, the first time I read it, I was just like, fuck off, <laughs> fuck off with that. That's your first novel. Come on. It's gross. <laughs> it's so good. And it really, it's in my top five because it just, that's what I want in the story is I just want to be in someone's head and I just want to feel the world through their eyes. And I feel like he does that so well in that. And, and, and also hints at this entire world uh, that is rightly you know, this dystopian, strange alternate universe that they live in in that story. Um, I just was on the Constant Reader podcast with Richard Shepard and we did a whole episode for like two hours about the long walk where we delved into everything. Like, like what the fuck is, why is the dimes, the, the back of the dimes different? What does that mean? What does this mean? You know, going into everything. That book is a trip and it is such an intense experience for something so little and for mm -hmm. so, from someone so young. It's mm -hmm. incredible. And yeah, it's one of those I'm really glad I read. So nuts. I want to segue really quick to your favorite Stephen King villains. Ooh, okay. Okay. Well, I mean, I got to go basic. They're the classic for a reason. You got your Pennywise. Yeah. Right. Which, you know, and of course, Pennywise in his Pennywise persona, great. But you also have your Bob Gray persona. You got your spiders. You got your aliens. You got your whatnot. Like it can be anything that scares you. It's got you. Right. Like that's fantastic. I mean, that's really the best villain you can be, knowing exactly what scares the other your person and then amplifying that. That's genius. Perfect. 
I love it so much. So Pennywise gets a shout out. Of course, Randall Flagg, again, speaking of people going into multiple personas, that's also somebody that we have. I think that I like him because... He's quite jovial about it all. Like he he deals with very life and death manners and treats it in such an like a flippant way and has such a weirdo fucking sense of humor. <laughs> I really like that about him. Uh, that he's he's not full on psycho, right? He's just he is, but he also I don't know what is I don't know what his deal is. Nobody knows what his deal is. But then if I can give kind of a nebulous, like a, an organization as a villain, uh, I'm the shop has to be, you know, the shop slash the institute, right? This kind of yep. government agencies coming for your children to suck away their powers and, and make horrible weapons. So good. So mm-hmm. good. I love Firestarter so much. So- I do too. Um, and I actually just went through, this is a slight tangent, but I was just going through this kind of crisis where so i love fire Shutter so much i saw scanners i don't know if you've seen scanners very similar government agency uh mind control bleeding the whole bit but then there's also the fury from 1978 which is brian de palma's follow-up to carrie which is also telekinetic teens where there's also uh mind pushing and bleeding and i was like i don't who did this first i don't understand this is also similar and i was like who started with the nosebleeds and where does this all come from it became uh, this is how obsessed i get about these kind of things <laughs> So uh, as best as I can figure, the Fury is a slight ripoff of Carrie. It's like when Carrie came out and there was just like a billion different ripoffs of, of you know, and I don't mean ripoff in like a bad way, like the Fury is a good book and a good film, but it was brought out from that. But then the Fury, the Firestarter seems to borrow some stuff from the Fury because that came out before Firestarter came out. And there's got, it has a government agency that's bringing kids in to take their powers. It has a Native American working for them. It has a transvestite working for them. And I was like, hmm interesting so i'm not sure how to feel about it it all made me feel strange strange <laughs> you know because i don't want to say you know of course nobody stole from anybody else but obviously there would have been a big lawsuit if they had right and there would have been a ruckus and so everybody's fine with everything but in my brain I'm like, but where who is the, what is the origin i must know <laughs> so good so good <laughs> i'm so glad you're a shop fan because i think i was chatting with another constant reader like they they do make a lot of mistakes but we still love them Oh, for sure. That's, I mean, the, uh, the shop's just great because it's it's real, right? And, you know, the thing that I love about, I love many things about Firestarter, but the one of the things I love about it is the MK Ultra uh, connection, right? And they, uh, that's where it's coming from. And that he's taking this thing that the government actually did and then turning it into a horror novel. Fucking brilliant, right? Like, the, like MK Ultra's still just ended when he wrote that. So it's like he's, they're just coming out of it. So it's, you know, what an insane thing. And I think that's a lot of thing that people think, oh, it's made up for the book or the movie. Like, oh, no, uh-uh, that really happened, yo. Like, we're really trying to, like, inject our, our own citizens with mind control stuff. So people think, like, Stephen King's, like, crazy outlandish. I'm like, no, he's taking it from real life, man. He's just turning it up a notch, really. Totally wild. Like, with Tommyknockers and nuclear war and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man, that was, like, legit on the climate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people were not not happy about that. But I think, you know, that's one of the things he does best is just kind of turning his eye to the current events or, you know, recently current events and using them to, you know, because obviously the long walk has parallels to Vietnam War, right? Because it's just these boys on this like meaningless yeah. message and like, what am I doing here? And like, it means nothing. We're all going to die. So obviously it's there, but you it doesn't knock you in the face with it. You know, it, it does it in a really nice, subtle way. So piggybacking off of your favorite villains, I wanted to ask if there is a character within the Stephen King universe that you would like to have their own spin-off novel, like Danny mm-hmm. with Dr. Sleep, right. or a sequel, or prequel, or right. who, we, who do you want to have extra spotlight? Definitely Charlie from Firestarter because, you know, I was kind of dismayed she didn't show up in Dr. Sleep because like, hey, man, I don't expect her to be with Rose of the Hat or anything, but she has some powers we could be. So, you know, then I started thinking, what if you just got this big mashup? Like you take all of his telekinetic characters and just like this giant gang. That's kind of what I want. Uh, But Charlie, definitely. I want to see what happens to her because I feel like she ends up in a good place. I feel like she there's a hopefulness to the end of Firestarter that could definitely be continued. And he doesn't do... No, I guess he does. Or uh, this was another one that I've been speaking about, speaking of mashing up characters. You take his most, in my opinion, some of his most awesome 12-year-old boy characters. You take Jake Chambers from Dark Tower and you take Jack Sawyer from The Talisman and Luke Ellis from uh, The Institute that have like Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn type adventures where they just roam around (gasps) the territories and just go on adventures. I would really like to see that. I love that. Oh my gosh. So Stephen King, when you listen to this, (laughs) pretty pleased with Sugar on Top. 
pretty pleased. My other plan was I had this brilliant idea in the middle of the night, you know, those when you're like trying to go to bed and it mm -hmm. hits you real hard. I was like, what if we could ask Steve to have adult Charlie team up with Holly Gibney? Mm. Like some kind of modern day meetup where okay. she needs her help or they happen upon each other and it's Charlie. Well, you have the new the new novel, Holly novel coming out. Anything's possible. Right. Especially because he seems to favor Holly lately. So if we got like another, I would like if we could just put adult Charlie with Holly. I want her to have her own her own thing. And honestly, I was the thing that I would have liked better with Dr. Sleep would I wanted more Danny. I felt like he got kind of sidelined um, with Abra and and the gang. And I was like, I just kind of want to see Danny's story. Again, like this kind of, you know, Bachman, just one man's fight against his past. Uh, that's what I was more, I was hoping for that a little bit more. So maybe with Charlie, we can get a little more of that. Plus one. Yeah, more Danny as well. I enjoyed Rose the Hat. The Abra stuff is fun, but like, we're here. We're here to see Danny. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're here to mm -hmm. see Danny. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask about, since you've really made the rounds with King, and we're kind of both on this journey together, this is a loaded question, but I just kind of like to drop it. What are your thoughts about the Dark Tower? I think he says it's his masterwork, and I think he's right. Yeah. I think it's unlike any series I've ever read. Obviously, I'm so into it that I will delay the ending for four and a half years so I don't have to because it's so good and I want it to end. It's it's amazing because it's and it's something that I think you could recommend to non-horror folks because it isn't horror. It's fantasy in a way. I mean, this kind of genre bending, if you will. But there isn't. I, I someone recently asked me this that they didn't like horror. It's like, well, you got Dark Tower. That's on the board. Also, my dad uh, doesn't like horror and he read 112263. So you're like, you got options. It doesn't have to be this. But I think, you know, giving someone, I think the thing with Dark Tower, for me, I think this is echoed a lot with fans. It's like the gunslinger is a little slow. And I'm like, okay, interesting. Got it. Here we go. And then the drawing of the three, you're like, holy fucking shit, what is happening? <laughs> like it just smacks you in the face immediately. You're like, Jesus, okay. He just ratcheted it up like a thousand notches. Let's go. Um, I loved it. I was so excited about that. And it's not that the gunslinger is a bad book. It's just like, he's clearly at a place where he couldn't do what he needed to do yet. And then he yeah. got to the place where he could. Um, so I think that's great. And it also, the thing that the cool thing about it as well is like, I, so I'm a big, big film nerd, uh, but one of the genres I've never really been into was westerns because I just don't really get them. I don't, there's this like lone solitary dude going along, being a badass, like, okay. But then having read them and now can look at that character through Roland's eyes, I'd be like, okay, I kind of get it now. Okay, now I'm interested in Westerns. If I can look at it, which is so constant reader, right? Like if I can look at this through <laughs> a Stephen King lens, I am more interested now that I understand a little bit more about what makes someone like that. Oh my gosh, truer words were never spoken about drawing of the three. That book explodes. It yes. absolutely does. I am right at the end of Wizard and Glass, and I am I've just been on an emotional roller coaster. But yes. More so, I'm like, who the hell wrote this book? How did he do this? How did he do this? I I'm blown away. The other novels are cool and fun, but you still feel like, okay, where are we? I'm, I like the quartet. All right, we're having fun. And then when you get to Wizard and Glass and I get this gorgeously layered backstory, I'm just in, in pieces. I'm a puddle. Yeah, but that's what makes me understand that character. If I could look at him like, okay, he's someone who's, you know, had his heart crushed and this is the part of what... It's interesting. It's interesting. It's, it's, so it's given to me more than just... The Dark Tower, it's given me like a whole world of Westerns, just as when I first started reading him, he gave me a whole world of horror. So he's he's winning, winning all counts my whole life. Thank you, Stephen King. Right. I wanted to ask, I know that every now and again, we have to talk to non-King people and non-constant mm. readers. Yes. Do they ever ask you for a recommendation or what is the go-to for you in terms of recommending a King book? I usually say The Long Walk now because I feel like it's because of course I would like to uh, recommend it, but you're asking a lot of someone for 1100 pages, right? Yeah. And I feel for me, the more, the better. I will read infinite amount of pages as much as he wants to write. I will read. There's no problem with that for me, but I know a lot of people don't feel the same way. So I try to pick something that's smaller. I recommend Firestarter a lot. The Dead Zone, I recommend. 
Carrie, of course, right? You start where he starts. So there's like, the, there's always ones that I, you know, and there's people ask about, about ones that are non-horror. And so there's, those are the one, you know, I try to do that as well. Um, so, and I feel like the long walk doesn't get the attention it deserves and it, because it, I feel like it really is spectacular and, and deserves to be up there amongst all of his highly lauded work. I always thought that would be a cool Broadway show. A long walk? Yeah. <laughs> as a musical? <laughs> not as, well, not a musical, but maybe. I just couldn't get the visual out of my head of some sort of stage that's constantly moving and they're constantly oh. walking and like, okay, we've got a, a cool screen in the background with this changing of the day and like, I think it could okay. work. No, I'm I'm seeing it like a, a endless amounts of treadmills on stage are kind of yep. hidden into the stage. Yep. Uh, and then you have the tracks on the side. Okay, I could be there. I could be there. I, I know that they they keep talking about making a movie of it, which excites me and terrifies me at the same time because yeah. I feel like there's no way you wouldn't Hollywood this up and like we need more sex, we need more action, <laughs> we need more whatever. Like I don't know, don't don't do that. Just show them walking the entire movie because that's really all there is. Yeah. I think if we had it on stage, we could keep that edge. And then you could have like the the warnings, like warning number eight. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh my God, get up. So <laughs> Yeah. And then then the treadmill and they would just like take them off stage and there would oh. be like a dump in the back and it would just like off the back of the stage. We could dump. do it. See, here we go. We're writing it as right? as we go. As yep. we go. And then you after intermission, they, when you come back, they just look so much more fucked up than they were at the end of Act <laughs> One. And you're like, oh no. <laughs> Love it. I think we could do it. I hope somebody listening out there. Finance this. I have a fun one for you. Okay. If you could be stuck or temporarily trapped in mm -hmm. any Stephen King town or setting, Ooh. what would you choose? I mean, obviously the Dark Tower comes to mind, right? Because that's just like an endless possibility of wherever. And I feel like mine would all be kind of time tra travely or an alternate dimension-y. So something like the talisman with the territories or 112263, where it's just like a door. Here you go. Here's a door to the past. Because I would like, I, I sometimes, it sounds so silly. Like I sometimes get angry that I can't time travel. Like, just let me fucking time travel, man. It does not ask me too much. All I want to do is go to the, like the 1967 London and just like hang out. Oh. It's be so amazing. So I think some sort of time travel-y kind of world um, would work. But you know what else would be cool? Um, I don't know if you've read uh, your, the short story. Yes. It's about the Kindle that has like different, mm -hmm stories and books that from authors that they didn't actually write in this universe and I was like that's pretty good I would never see this is the issue though I don't read on a kindle I've never read a book on a kindle I don't know if I ever will I really enjoy having a, a paper book in my hand so the fact of me reading a book on a kindle wouldn't happen but if it could have magic books by authors then it, I probably would make an exception when I had a book club many years ago, we did 11-22-63. And one of the questions was like, what would be the first thing you would do when you got to 1958 mm. or 1962 in the show that they did? And I was like, I would go to the dress shop and smuggle back as much clothes as I could. Yeah. Mine's <laughs> always, uh, I always want to go to the grocery store. I'd just like stare oh. at all the old packaging for some reason that, but going to a mall and just, yeah, of course. I mean, this is, we're assuming you don't have some sort of like life or death mission going on, right? You're just True. going back like the butcher and you're like, I'm just going back to get some meat and it's fine yeah i would i would live my life in there pretty pretty much looking at our next question we know that stephen king endings it's kind of a it's a topic it's one that we bounce around like some people give the direct quote he just doesn't end books well other people are like it's about the journey i wanted to ask is there a stephen king book for you that the ending is so unsatisfying that it kind of ruined the journey or are you someone who is just along for the ride regardless hmm. well i guess speaking of the long walk the, the first time i read it the ending disappointed me a little it's quite ambiguous and i and i appreciate it now but i think the problem the the issue that i had with it is that it really promises you a descent into guarantees madness for the whole book and then once he gets to a real bad place they kind of skip forward and now he's like the very end so you you don't really get the where he would be just you know um, losing his mind like we don't get that progression and it kind of i feel slightly cheated that i don't get that but it doesn't make me love the book 
any less. Um, and there's there's books that have unsatisfying endings, but none that I would say it's not worth reading. I wouldn't be like, oh, don't read it because the ending is so terrible. Right. You know, and like the ending of it is what it is. You know, even as <laughs> when I read it as 11, I was like, I don't, there's a, they're flying through space. Okay. I don't really know what's happening, but it's okay. And you just kind of go along with it. And it's something that I love the book so much. I love the character so much. Like, even if the ending is what that is and you just go, okay, that's how we wanted to end it. Like, who am I to say different? It's not what I saw in my head, but that's, I'm not writing this, so. Oh my gosh, agree. I have two more for you, and then we'll talk about our mutual love of a 90s celebrity. (laughs) Ooh, okay. (laughs) So I wanted to ask if you don't already have a signed Stephen King title. If we were in line at a book sale, Mm -hmm. ready to get one signed, only one, which title would you have personalized? I do have one signed. It yeah. is, um, I got it because at the, I did some film programming at the Somerville Theater in 2019 and he had to had a book signing for the Institute a few months before that. And the Ian Judge who works at the Somerville Hi Ian uh, was very kind enough to get him to sign a book for me and they gave it to me when I arrived. So I have one that is signed. It is not personalized to me, but it's signed and that's delightful. If I could have him personally sign anything of mine, it would be that tattered paperback of it that I've had since I was 11 for sure because like it shows my love there it is it's been taped up and it's all fucking falling apart I'm like yeah but it's this is this is the love you can read it you can see it right here yep totally it would be whatever the raggedy first one or the much loved (laughs) all right let us have revealed to us either your top three or your top five or you can be punk rock and do your top 10 okay what are your favorite King titles? Well, I think we've talked about them all today. So we got It, we got The Long Walk, Pet Cemetery, Talisman, Firestarter, Dark Tower. I mean, I could go on endlessly, right? I could, go, I could keep <laughs> going, right? I can Dead Zone and Carrie and all, you know, there's kind of endless revival and stuff like that. But now you know, you know my bottom of the and the top of the, my lists. I have, I have now you know. So <laughs> those are just my opinion. If you love the regulators, uh, more power to you, man. But not on, not for me. Haven't read that one yet. Oof, it's something. Okay, <laughs> good to know. I will keep that in mind. I wouldn't spoil anything ever in the world because I'm not that kind of person. But it is one where I'm like, I am so confused, and I can't understand how you would ever have this idea. I think it's a good one. I don't, I don't know. But hey, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're a regulator's lover and you want to like change my mind, I'm open to it. <laughs> change my mind. Given the fact this is the year of underrated Stephen King, which underrated novel would you like to see mainstream if you had the power? I mean, we've talked about the long walk, so we should pick something else. I mean, I think another Bachman, I think Roadwork doesn't get any love. Um, and I, I actually have been, I've read The Running Man. I haven't seen The Running Man. I understand that The Arnold Schwarzenegger Running Man is not terribly close to the source material. So maybe a more truthful adaptation of that. Uh, but Roadworks, as far as I know, kind of untouched. And I think that that's an interesting one that doesn't get a lot of play. Very cool. So that's all the nitty gritty out of the way. I wanted to talk about the celebrity that I think we both like quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I mention him because... Julia, he's the crush of my life. Okay. And so if I ever met Ethan Hawke on the street. (laughs) God, can you imagine? Right? And so here's here's the thing. When I meet him, I'm putting it out there. I hope to manifest it. It's going to be awkward, but I don't care. I'm just going to look at him and I'm going to say, hello, how are you? And then I'm just going to say, I have loved you my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) And it'll be true. I have not met him, although I sat at a screening um, at First Reformed where he was at the Q&A and he was like two rows ahead of me on the stage, (gasps) real close and wearing red socks for some reason. I was just like, man, look at you fucking wearing red socks. So yes, I have loved Ethan Hawke uh, since Explorers, right? Since his first movie. And so I was the kid growing up that was super in, I've been boy crazy my whole life. Same. And so uh, I I was always asked my dad to get Bop magazine or Big Bopper magazine when he went to the supermarket. And so I had uh, pinups of boys all over my walls. And then I would get VHS copies of Dead Poets Society or whatever, just watch it over and over and over. Um, And I also, the girl in the back, if you remember in the back of Bop magazine, you could write to different celebrities. And so I would do that all the time. And, you know, I would always judge people by if they wrote back or not, you know, like, what what do you got? Sometimes I got nothing. Sometimes you got the, like, clearly it's like a stamp, like signature. (laughs) And you're like, okay. But then sometimes you got, Robert Sean Leonard wrote me an actual letter 
note back. Um, Elijah Wood sent me back a eight by 10 that I actually got to show him later in life. And I'm like, I you said this to me when I was 10. It was very, very cute. Ethan Hawke, his grandmother ended, I ended up being pen pals with his grandmother because his grandmother was like writing his fan mail for him or like, like going through it at the time. This was, I don't know, 90, 91. So it's like white, you know, white fang kind of territory. Uh, so I, I wrote back and forth to his grandma a couple of times. Uh, that's my Ethan Hawke story for you. It's not, not very exciting. I wish I could say it was more, but yes, he is one of my very favorites. And I think that he, the thing that bothers me is that he never gets the accolades he deserves because he is consistently fantastic and has been since he was a fucking kid and like nobody ever like first reformed the fact that he wasn't didn't win anything that was furious so like that performance was transcendental and if you guys can't see it then what are you doing so (laughs) angry about it and he's always good no matter and he's not afraid to push outside of his box and go in different places um so i would like to see him and and i know that awards mean nothing right i i have no faith in the oscars they it's a political game i get it but for I would like to see Academy Award winner Ethan Hawke because he deserves it. He's been working in this industry for so hard, so tirelessly, and shows up and does the work. He clearly loves it, right? He's not doing it for fame and money. He's doing it because he loves doing it. Oh my gosh. Uh, your Ethan Hawke story is everything and <laughs> given me life that you were so close. No, I am the same. I am the swooniest teen girl forever and always. Mm-hmm. But what I'm so thrilled about is I've loved him. I've seen everything. I've seen everything. Whatever garbage or great thing he's ever done, I've seen it and I've mm-hmm. watched it a few times. My boyfriend, who is my love and will get married, totally looks like you. <laughs> Oh, you lucky duck. I was so lucky. So I always call him. Yeah, he's my dream guy. So the universe cooked me up and Ethan Hawke. Jeez, man. Can we can we get two of those, please? Seriously. If you picture Ethan Hawke reality bites, but like a little bit longer beard and shorter hair, that's my guy. Now I'm kind of angry. Now I'm kind of (laughs) and I'm kind of envious. No, I'm just kidding. I'm very happy for you. That's amazing. You're living the dream, man. Right on. Totally. So I'm just so glad that that you know. Yes. Oh, I get it. I would be a happy, happy clam. Yes. So someday I'll meet him and I'll tell him all these things. But I, yeah, I love him to pieces. He's such a talent. He's a brilliant writer. He writes yeah. fiction. He's yeah. Just... Oh yeah, I've read his books. I have his one. One of his books is, is signed from one of the bookstores. He told a story at the first Reform Q and A that made me so sad. That said, he used to be a really, really avid journaler, and that would you know would always when he was doing movies and everything would would do this. And he was in an airport and he left his bag and someone stole his journal. <gasps> and he's like, and I never did it again. They like killed it for him because he was like, now he realized all of those thoughts around the world for somebody had like stolen them. I was like, you fucking asshole, whoever that person was like, don't you know what you've done? You've done something so terrible. Oh my gosh. Swift death upon that person. (laughs) Don't steal people. What's wrong with you? What year is this? Oh my gosh, Julia, this has been incandescent. Thank you so much. You are just a ball of light and energy and joy. (laughs) And it's so cool. It's this is such an estrogen fest. And I appreciate you so much for helping me usher in this milestone. It's been amazing. Thank you so much. And I'm sure I can come back on once the film is released. We can talk again. This has been lovely. Thank you so much. I mean, I you know, just talking with somebody who's excited about these things as I am is just exciting, right? This is what we live for is like, oh, you like Stephen King? I like Stephen King. Let's talk about Stephen King. And it's nice because most people in my life are, are sick of me talking about him. So now we go, <laughs> okay, that's okay though. Because you've asked me to, and now it's I've got the thumbs up. So, and congratulations again on a hundred episodes. I hope that you have hundreds more and long days and pleasant nights to you. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Before we <laughs> We go please tell my listeners where they can find your podcast what's coming up what you got going on anything you want to plug uh so my you can find me on twitter instagram facebook tiktok as julia c marquesi and i'm active love to meet you talk about stephen king whatever you sell me on the regulators whatever you whatever you want to do um i also have podcast two podcasts horror movie survival guide and jodorowsky which is all about alejandro jodorowsky and you can find those online um i have a single coming out this year, which is insane. <gasps> so you can keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. That's coming out. Who to thunk it? And not me. But here As in we are. Singing? You sing? yeah. <gasps> Girl. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of fell into place and I went, okay, let's go with it. Why not? Oh, love it. So oh. yes, this, thank you for having me. And I hope that I can uh, meet some of your listeners because I'm sure that they're rad.
Oh, yes. They are the best. And this is good. Yeah, they're... <sighs> there are no more words. This is where my brain is unplugging itself because there's just been too much joy, too much excitement. And this is where I melt. But <laughs> thank you once more. I'm so excited. Thank you for making your film. I'm thrilled. I cannot wait to watch it and gush and flip out and then chat about it with you. And I hope it's an immense success and that people just shower you with praise. Goodness, thank you very much. You're making me blush. I, I live to never bore and I live to give all the love in the Stephen King community because it's a great one. People are rad. We got to keep mm -hmm. up the radness. No, no, uh, no non-rad Stephen King folk. Agreed. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay, my sweet loves, thank you so much for listening to the wonderful Julia Marchesi and ringing in the 100th episode of the Year of Underrated Stephen King. My guys, it feels really good. It just, it really does. I never thought we would make it here. Truly, I can barely wrap my head around it, but thank you to Julia for gracing us with all her radness, and I look forward to seeing the trailer and talking more about I Know What You Need. For more on Julia, please visit the show notes for links to her website as well as her Twitter and Instagram so you could stay in the loop with everything she's got going on, and stay tuned for some hopeful snippets of the I Know What You Need trailer, and hopefully in time, some release dates and locations, and you can bet I'm gonna be there with bells on. As for moi, professionally, Kim C is getting ready to head back into the classroom, but on the podcast horizon, we're going to do a part three of Wizard and Glass because part two, as you all know, was a colossal Blaine the Mono train wreck of too many feelings, so we need to backtrack a little bit and shine some more light on some of the wonderful storytelling in the second half of Wizard and Glass. It's a must, needs to happen, must be done. That is coming up soon. Also, I recently put out a poll on Twitter on what my next Stephen King title should be, and from the responses, it's a tie between Billy Summers and Needful Things. I definitely think the plan is to read Needful Things this winter. We're going to let that one be my winter's tale. So with that in mind, coming up in the next few weeks is the 2021 title, Billy Summers. We are going to head into the conclusion of summer with Billy Summers, the title that Matt R. told me about as well as my dad, and I just have to get my eyeballs on it, guys. It's become essential. It needs to happen. So please look for coverage on that title coming up soon. Before we go, I would love to encourage all of you to say hello and write into the show if you haven't already. It would be so great to hear what your favorite episodes are, share where you're from, and let's connect with some King Chat. If you're a longtime listener and first-time caller, this is the hour. It would be so special to have you say hello at underratedsk at gmail or head to underratedskpod on Twitter and Instagram. If you would like to make this 100th episode extra spectacular and memorable, please make sure you head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a five-star review if you're feeling magnanimous. Feel free to review the show and say some nice things about us so we can sync up with some more listeners as we head into the spookier months. And lastly, to everyone who has ever listened to one minute of this show, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I am truly overwhelmed in an incredible way. There is a heap of gratitude, the length of the Dark Tower saga toward all of you all over the world who have shared your day with me and written into the show to share more of your thoughts on King or provided me with some extra cool Stephen King archival treasure. I'm talking about you, wonderful Bryant B. <laughs> Thank you all so very much for your tremendous kindness, your support, and for keeping this little campfire going. The road goes ever on, and I'm going to continue the path forward on this Stephen King journey and take all of you with me. For now, ladies and gentlemen, my plans are to stand. I'm going to stand and be true. I love you all so very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Take care, and until next time, bye-bye.